Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Borussia Dortmund have won the European Cup Winners' Cup. You can feel the passion, the emotion. And Dortmund against all the odds are European champions. <laughs> Welcome to Believe in Borussia, your Borussia Dortmund podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Episode number 18. My name is Tilo, coming to you with this fresh off the press content and looking forward to having you listening in again. Just a reminder, if you haven't done so, please don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your fix on. And if you're there, please leave a review, leave us a rating. It means the world. Thank you. So the big news this week in Borussia land is obviously Giorena getting number seven. No, I'm kidding. It's the signing of Daniel Marlin. And we'll talk about that for a moment. But I feel I owe you something a little more profound, a little deeper. So we will take the kickoff of the second Bundesliga, the zweite Bundesliga, to segue into a little historical segment about how Borussia once ended up in the second division and why it almost meant the end of the club and how the fans, the city and a bit of luck revived it. So Borussia Historia, back by popular demand. But before we get started, just a quick reminder from our sponsor BetOnline that has all the sports betting action you need. Soccer, MLB, Olympics. Hey, the men's US basketball team odds look pretty dire if you want to win some money. Um, I guess that loss against France didn't seem to fool the bookies who have them at minus 300 for winning gold. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I put a buck or two on Germany at plus 8,000. Neil Skiffy and Mo Wagner for the win. That would be cool. But whatever you do and whatever you want to bet on, BetOnline has all the latest odds, the news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next kickoff, tip-off, face-off, I don't know, all the offs at the Olympics, um, pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So Daniel Marlin is here. Not that we are terribly surprised, but it still is a nice signing. Um, we talked about it, I think, a couple of weeks back. But since it's now official, let's pick it up right here. But I'm just going to give you the, the quick and dirty because I'm sure your social media channels are flowing over with Daniel Marlin content. So 
Who is Donnie Marlin? Well, he played 116 games for PSV, 55 goals, 24 assists. That's 79 scorers and 116 games, which is pretty impressive. And in his 13 games, he played for the Netherlands so far. He has two goals and three assists, which is a similar pace, just a nudge below, but giving probably the higher competition and the higher stakes, that's still very, very good. Marlon is 22 years old. He's a pretty quick and skillful forward who actually came from the Ajax Youth Academy, the famous one, and joined PSV via a stint at Arsenal's Youth Academy, then joining the young PSV and then the first team. So now he steps into hopefully the starting 11 of a top 12 team in Europe and his contract will run until 2026. So it seems like he is planned to be a main pillar moving forward at around $33 million transfer fee. I think that's very reasonable price tag considering his pedigree, um, the talent, the age, which kind of is synonymous with uh, potential nowadays too, and the need. It was quite obvious that we would have to fill that void somehow. So not dirt cheap, but also not too expensive. So just a piece of good business there by Borussia Dortmund. I'm sure he has many of you really excited, as you should. And the fact that he's already been training with the team since Monday is greatly improving the odds of us seeing him on the pitch early and often because he's getting these very, very crucial minutes with his new teammates now, um, even before some of the other national players that played at the Euros are joining, which is great. So let's wish him all the best, hope he can deliver on his talent, on his promise, and will help Borussia Dortmund play a fantastic 21-22 season. A lot of people talk about Bayern and Dortmund in the first division, but the truth is, between the fan culture, the ticket prices, and the quality of football on the pitch, the Bundesliga 2 might just be where it's at. So the second Bundesliga, the zweite Bundesliga, kicked off last weekend, and while luckily, Unlike our blue neighbors, Borussia Dortmund does not have much to do with the second division this time around. It did have a stint in the second division and it's kind of wild to see despite the Bundesliga right now with these big clubs being yeah, pitted against each other in the second tier of German soccer. I mean, we are looking at huge fan bases, big average attendance, stadia and so on and so forth. So I want to talk a little bit about that and then use it to pivot into Borussia Dortmund's dark days in the second division and how we got there and more importantly how we got out of there. Six of the top all-time Bundesliga teams are currently in the second division. As I already mentioned, it's our blue neighbors, uh, Werder Bremen, Hamburgers V, Nuremberg, Düsseldorf and Hannover 96. And there's two more playing in the third division with Duisburg and Kaiserslautern. And it's pretty crazy that these big teams with huge fan bases now play in the second division. Could you imagine the USL having six stadiums with over 40,000 fans at least, which are also always packed? Never mind the USL, the MLS only has officially one stadium that holds more than 40,000, which is Atlanta. Yes, there's Soldier Field and Yankee Stadium and all that. But for the actual games, they never make these seats available. There's only 20 to maybe 35,000 seats made available per game. The rest is basically an extended roof. I looked at the pre-corona attendance levels of the clubs that are now in the second division. And they would pull in 
uh, average attendance higher than the MLS, 22.5 thousand versus 21,000. Again, 22,000 people on average in the second division. And that's despite having some dog sheds of stadiums there as well that can only hold a very limited amount of people. But what's great for the second division is obviously not so good for the first division. To be fair, I'm, I'm a little jealous when I see some of the pairings because you really don't know what's going to happen. It's very unclear how will Schalke, Hamburg, Bremen do. Will it be Nuremberg? Will it be Kiel again challenging or somebody like Furt that, you know, um, comes out of left field and, and, and challenges for the promotion? Heidenheim was strong last year. So the only thing that seems certain is that quite a few of these big teams, again, will stay in the second division. And then you add in teams like Dresden and Rostock, which also bring the heat on and off the pitch. So really interesting there. On the other hand, the list of really enticing games in the Bundesliga, for me, gets smaller and smaller. Mainz versus Wolfsburg. Hertha Berlin versus Leverkusen. Wolfsburg versus Augsburg. Mainz versus Hoffenheim. What do all these pairings got in common? Well, no one wants to watch them. In 2019, Sky, the media partner of the German league, literally ported a zero rating because less than 5,000 people tuned in on their TVs and it fell below the measurable number for ratings. And there are 15 more games that season that drew only 10,000 people on TV. Seven involved Freiburg and six involved Wolfsburg. For me, there should be a space for teams like Freiburg and Mainz because not every team needs to have a super huge fan base or be a street sweeper. But when teams like Wolfsburg and Hoffenheim get artificially blown up by money, there is too much void and too little substance in the league. But on the other hand, everyone forges their own destiny and every team, even Bayern, has been in the second division. Hamburg had the moniker of Dino Dinosaur for having played in the highest division since ancient times and never been relegated. Until they were, and now they make it an art form to squander away promotion every other year in the second division. So that's been quite entertaining too. Maybe they get a new moniker or a second Bundesliga Dino. I don't know. Anyway, again, you might wonder, now what has that to do with Borussia Dortmund? And yes, Borussia Dortmund as well spent time in the second division. When, why and how? I will talk about right now in another piece of Borussia Historia, as I like to call it today, apparently. In 1972, Borussia Dortmund was relegated from the Bundesliga. For the first time since the 1930s, they weren't playing at the highest division of German soccer, and for the first time since the 1920s, the club was relegated from a division. The crazy part is, it all happened only six years after Borussia Dortmund had won the European Cup Winners' Cup versus Liverpool in Glasgow, becoming the first German team to win a European title, which was the biggest trophy in Germany's soccer history up to that point, apart of course from the miracle of Bern, the 1954 World Cup win of the German team. With three league titles, a German Cup and the European Cup Winners' Cup in the 50s and 60s, Borussia Dortmund had become a household name in all of Germany. It was one of the most popular clubs around. Young boys 
everywhere wanted to be like Lothar Emmerich or Aki Schmidt. Kids like Klaus Augenthaler, who was born in a small Bavarian village, hundreds of miles away from Dortmund, were Borussia Dortmund fans. Augenthaler, he loves these. Oh yes, it's a special from Klaus Augenthaler. Augenthaler adored Ziggy Held and Borussia Dortmund, not local sides 1816 or Bayern Munich. In a time without internet, very limited TV and mostly regional media, that's saying something for a club to inspire youth across the country. So how do you go from that, from the top to the absolute bottom in only six years? Mismanagement and money issues. Back in those days, Clubs heavily relied on local revenues, money made at the gates, local sponsors, there was no national or international TV deals, no premium partners, no shirts and merchandise sold around the globe. It was basically whatever your region could cough up for you, that's what you got back into your club. So when your region wasn't doing so well, your club would likely take a hit as well. And that's exactly what happened in the rural area and all the teams were affected from Borussia Dortmund to the Blue Neighbors, Duisburg, Essen. These teams were hit hard. And it all started already in 1958 with the so-called coal crisis. The coal production in the rural area was becoming more pricey than coal from abroad. At the same time, the German government started to phase out subsidies and all of a sudden there was way too much coal produced. Supply exceeded demand and the mines had to close. The process only accelerated and in 1963 alone, 10,000 miners in the rural area lost their jobs. However, Dortmund was always more a steel town than just a coal mining town. So it was hit hard when Hirsch, the huge steel mill in Dortmund, who at one point employed 20% of the city's working population, around 50,000 people, got in trouble. 20% every fifth person. Imagine you would step in the train or in the mall and every fifth person you see there works at the same company you do. So when the steel industry began to struggle, so did Hirsch. And when Hirsch began to struggle, so did Dortmund. With money becoming scarce, with businesses and fans all around, there was also less to go around for Borussia. And in addition to the economic woes, the BVB stadium was more than outdated. The advent of the Bundesliga in 1963 and its TV coverage in combination with the awful conditions of the stadiums around the land led to a reclining attendance in numbers. Fans just weren't willing anymore to pay the higher prices for the Bundesliga while standing in the pouring rain because only the main stand in the Rote Erde, the Red Soil Stadium, had seats and a roof. The rest was out in the cold or the mud or whatever else. And now you could catch highlights from the convenience of your home, with more and more households getting TVs. The declining gate revenues only added to the problem, and on the management side, Borussia Dortmund had on way too long to some of the Euro heroes. Sigi Held, Schmidt, Wolfgang Paul, they all stayed way past their prime. And that meant, when they stopped playing, the club wasn't able to transfer them and generate any transfer fees to inject fresh blood into the team. Nor were they good enough at the tail end of their careers to lift Borussia Dortmund into the upper echelon of the German soccer pyramid. Naturally, the team's quality steadily declined. 
Borussia finished 14, 16 and 13th in 1968, 69 and 71 before finally hitting rock bottom and getting relegated in 1972. The only reason the club didn't finish that last was because Bielefeld had been caught cheating and were punished by getting all their points wiped out, finishing 18 with, well, zero points. If you need a refresher if, when, why, what about the Bundesliga match-fixing scandal, check out episode number 12, True Bundesliga Crime Story, to understand what happened with Bielefeld and Schalke and Offenbach and all these other teams that had their hands in the cookie jar. What made matters worse was the fact that there wasn't even a second Bundesliga yet. The teams drifted straight into the regional leagues, a semi-professional nether region where formerly big clubs went to die. The huge gap between the new Bundesliga and those regional leagues fueled that match-fixing scandal as teams tried anything in their power to avoid getting relegated because it was a death sentence. And now Borussia Dortmund was part of it. Void of its former stars, its glory, and amidst the city experiencing structural changes and economic depression. Like many other clubs, the team tried to send a Hail Mary for direct promotion and like many other clubs, it failed, finishing fourth with the low point of the season being a 9-0 victory, a 9-0 victory versus Preussen Münster that was only witnessed by around a thousand fans. Borussia Dortmund had arrived in the waiting room of the pathology, as Aki Watzke always likes to say, or simply rock bottom. Indebted with no money to invest into the team, Borussia Dortmund spent another listless year in the regional league, with attendance dropping further below 10,000 on average. Probably the only season to have such a low attendance in the last 70-something years. But there was a glimmer of hope. Enter die zweite Bundesliga. First played with the North and South Division, it was crucial for the club to qualify for that new second-tier pro league in the land. However, financially, Borussia Dortmund was even further away from making the cut than on the pitch. So the club sold off its silverware, including the land it owned on the practice facility, but it still was short 1.3 million marks from the licensing requirements. So only with guarantees from the city, with support from Hirsch, who let BBB practice at their facility and use their medical staff and of course money from fans, did the club scratch enough money together to fulfill the requirements. As a token of gratitude, Borussia added Dortmund, the name of its city and the community that had come together in its darkest hour on the back of its shirt. And it's obviously still here today. So the next time you pick up your shirt and you look at the back, know what it means. And what was sacrificed so that you can hold a shirt with the name of that very city in your hands today? And even more miraculous was the second lifeline that Dortmund got. The gift of a new stadium. And it honestly was basically a gift, riding the tail of the World Cup bid from Germany in 1974. But for the longest time, it wasn't even clear whether the city would even get a World Cup spot. 
Cologne actually seemed to be ahead, but then pulled out of the bidding process over concerns of having to build a new stadium themselves. In Dortmund, the city and the club recognized the opportunity that came with hosting a World Cup and getting a new stadium. However, unfortunately, the club and the city were pretty broke. But with the World Cup's bid additional funds from the state and the federal level, there was light at the end of the tunnel. If you ever wondered how the Westfalen Stadium has such a distinct form, well, it simply came down to functionality and saving money. The planners chose a construction style that would be much more affordable by using rectangular blocks that were one like the other, leaving the corners open and omitting any track and field multi-arena nonsense. So by stroke of luck and frugality, they had laid ground to what soon would become the most revered atmosphere in German soccer and the building block of the Borussia Dortmund resurgence. The stadium opened in 1974 and after two years in the regional league, the club made the cut for the new second division. Germany's World Cup triumph and the superb new stadium that could fit up to 57,000 standing fans, closer to the action than anywhere else in the country, thanks to its straight terrace right next to the fields, drove fans back in flocks. Redemption was in the air. Hope was in the air. Average attendance tripled to 26,000 in the second division, mind you. The highest it had been since the European Cup Winners' Cup triumph season 66-67. Well, the season after, obviously. With that, revenues tripled and eased the financial pain, allowing to add some talent finally to the roster. And the following season, Borussia Dortmund returned to the first Bundesliga for good. Die Borussen-Anhänger hielten stets zu ihrem Verein. Die moralische und finanzielle Unterstützung der Fans ebnete dem Club den Weg zurück in die Bundesliga. We'll touch upon the X and O's of the dramatic finish of 1976 another time. Looking back at the dire years in the second division, what could have easily been the end of the club and left it at the wayside like other clubs like Preußen Münster or Essen, who are German champions themselves in 1955. Instead, what happened in the second division changed the club's trajectory for good. The rows that grew from concrete, the Westfalen Stadium, now holds over 80,000 people on average and has cultivated one of the most passionate and loudest supporter sections in all of global soccer. In 1997, the year of the club's return to the Bundesliga, the average attendance jumped from 26,000 to 42,000, turning Borussia Dortmund from almost dead to newly rich. Talks of buying Günther Netzer back from Real Madrid swirled around. But luckily, Coach Rehagel wasn't a man that was solely interested in big names. The fans and the club embraced their new home and they haven't looked back. Nie mehr zweite Liga, nie mehr, nie mehr. No more second division, no more, no more. Thank you for tuning in to Believe in Borussia presented by Bet Online. If you like this episode, please let us know. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it. And until next week, a black and yellow shout out 
across America. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.